Are you feeling stuck? Don't go anywhere. Well, I guess you're not going to go anywhere. So stay stuck for now and listen to this episode. We talk with Lisa Lewis. She is a career change expert. She's got a new book coming out and it is loaded with tips about starting your own business or maybe not starting your own business. So stay right there as you're planning and enjoy. Welcome to the practical podcast for technical people who want to start their own company. From founding to building your business, we're here to help. I'm Sean Hemel. And I'm Harris Kenny. This is the Hello Blink Show. So Lisa, thanks for joining us. We are pre-recording this, so we'll just get that out of the way. We'll talk in the present tense because you've got a new book coming out uh, soon. And then I've also got some personal life coming. Uh, It's not a book, but it's a baby and it is due soon. And so we're going to record this ahead of time because we don't know what our falls are going to look like. Um, Why don't you just start by just telling us about the book and then we'll get into like what you do and talk about careers and career changing and things like that. But let's talk about the book first instead of squeezing it into the end. Happy to, Harris, and thank you so much for having me on the show. I feel like the sort of person who's listening to Hello Blink is somebody who is thinking a lot about ambition and next steps and what's to come. And I feel like I, when I was first starting out on my own career journey, I was absolutely in the same space, probably a little bit less technical than your Hello Blink person, but still ambitious, hungry, feeling like I was working in a corporate job where I could sort of phone it in. And I could probably be operating at 60 to 70% of my cap, my capacity, my capabilities, and still be getting gold stars, still be knocking everybody's socks off. And when you are capable and you're smart and you find yourself in that kind of a situation for month after month, year after year, I think there's a little seed planted in the back of your mind about, could I just be doing this for myself? Could I go out on my own? Could I do this more on my own terms? Can I work in a way where I feel like I'm actually bringing more of myself to my work? And in a lot of ways, that was actually the impetus for some of the career transformational journey that I went on through my 20s, through the first decade of my career that led me to not only become a career coach and a career change coach like I am today, but also to try to figure out the process and the system and the structure behind driving successful career changes and career moves. I I was an economics major back in undergrad, so I think in systems, I think in processes, and I think in a risk-managed way. And it was so irritating to me that as I was trying to navigate different career decisions throughout the course of my early professional time, including whether or not to become an entrepreneur, I felt like there wasn't a framework for how to think about these things. There are some books that you can read that will give you three-word mantras to use and some really oversimplified models, you know, like Ikigai that you will hear from different, different sources, but it can be really difficult to figure out how to apply those in your life, especially if you are contemplating making a change like moving into entrepreneurship, like I imagine a lot of the people listening to this show are. And so out of the need to try to have systems and structures and a framework to help guide career decisions in my 20s, It led me to, in my 30s, start to develop that framework and to do career coaching with individuals to help them make those decisions and figure out what's next, and then watch and see what was working and what wasn't working to help continually refine 
and polish the methodology and the approach to navigate what's next. So from that, over the last five years of doing this career coaching work, I put together a methodology called the Career Clarity Framework and wrote a book about it that comes out on November 17th. And I am really excited to get to share about that with you guys today and with your listeners because one of the biggest things that was important to me as I was coming up with this methodology is that it needs to be both universal and personal, meaning that this ought to apply no matter what the decision outcome is that you move towards, but it should also be responsive to what's unique about you and your values and your situation that are different from other people around you. So I wanted to make sure whether you want to move into another corporate gig, if you want to start your own nonprofit, if you want to become an entrepreneur, if you want to go back to school, that the tools and the resources still work for you. So I'm excited to talk about the book and the methodology in the context of people who might be listening to the show today who are thinking about being on the cusp of wanting to make a shift and wanting to make a transition, but not being totally sure what kind of next step they want to take. And thus, feeling stuck, feeling stagnant, feeling like they're trapped at their current gig. Absolutely. And this is not hypothetical. So you started your own business. You've been hiring and training coaches in your methodology between you and your coaches. I mean, you've probably helped dozens and dozens and dozens of people go through this over the years. So you're not just sort of like theorizing. I mean, this is informed by practice, right? Yeah, it we between me and the coaches who are on my team, we've supported almost 600 people in making career transitions. And when you work, you know, day to day with real people as a practitioner, you start to see the places where the research and the data that comes out of sort of sterile ivory tower labs doesn't necessarily match up with what the lived experiences are of individuals who are trying to make discernment decisions and journeys on their own. So it's a cool mix of being informed by what the science and what the data says ought to be happening, but tempered by what we're actually seeing anecdotally in people who make decisions based on certain values or certain principles and how those are playing out in real time. Can you share with us like a little bit of this framework and methodology? Like what does that look like for somebody? Totally, totally. So if you are- Without spoiling too much of your book. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That is all right. I feel like the more you can give away to people for free, the easier it is for people to know if they need additional resources or if they can go ahead and implement things on their own. So, So true. So when I think about the career change journey and contemplating entrepreneurship and trying to decide if it's right for you, there are three overarching phases that somebody has to go through to make a transition successfully. And now let me go ahead and add in all the caveats and all the asterisks up front that There are people who make job changes all day long, but the goal here is to try to utilize a system that puts you on a trajectory where you are more likely to make improvements and not just sort of marginal improvements, not just throwing spaghetti at the wall, accidental improvements, but things that feel like quantum leaps in terms of your happiness, your fulfillment, your sense of autonomy and control and freedom. So this is the process that people who consistently are ending up happier on the other side of their job search and their job change are going through. And so. Lisa, I'm going to stop you right here before you get rolling. What I've experienced myself and I think other people have experienced is like, I just need to change my job. Like, oh, it's my company. It's my boss. It's my industry. It's the city that I'm in. And if I just make this one change, if I get to the other side, the grass is always greener. 
And then like six to 12 months later, they're all of a sudden unhappy again. So you're not saying it's not just like a one-time thing, right? It sounds like you're saying like, it's almost like a probability game. When you're in a job, there's odds that this is good for you or not good for you. When you make a change, there's odds is good for you, not good for you. And what you're talking about is like a system to improve your odds. Is that, am I understanding right? Yes. It's both a system to improve your odds and a a better system to understand what's driving your decision-making so that you're going to be making more, more strategic, more efficient decisions up front. And then those decisions are also more likely to be the ones that are going to set you up for success. Okay. Stop interrupting. No, that's well, Harris, that's a beautiful segue. So (laughs) phase one of the career discernment journey is you need to start with who you are, what you value and what you prioritize and use all of those data points to then help you generate some hypotheses and some ideas for what could be next. And I think to your point, a lot of the way that we're taught to think about career pathing and what your next decision could be in your professional journey is really based on starting with what you're already seeing available out there. It's starting with, well, go to Indeed or go to LinkedIn and go look at their job boards and go see who's hiring and then figure out how you can shape yourself or contort yourself to look like on paper the thing that they want so that you can get the job. And when our initial starting premise is contort yourself into someone who you may not actually be, it's not surprising that people move into jobs that don't feel great. So we've got to start with the premises of your values and your prioritized values must lead us and that once we prioritize your values, we can find opportunities that fit and match those those values, be they in employment for somebody else or be they in launching your own thing. So phase one is do some introspection, dive into who you are, what you want, what you value. Notice it in this moment in life because I can imagine that you know, 22-year-old Sean or 22-year-old Harris, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, probably had very different desires for their life and values and needs than you do in this day. And then you want to go through a prioritization process with the things that are coming up as being your biggest values. And Harris, to your point about having this sort of itch and this feeling inside of you that, okay, I can just solve this if I make a move somewhere. I just need a new job. I just need a better boss. I just need a blah, 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 blah. One of the things that I talk about in the book, and I talk about pretty widely on my podcast too, is the methodology for understanding your values and then prioritizing your values that we use called the four pillars of career fulfillment. Because what we've seen time and time again is that there are four core drivers of satisfaction in your job. And you want to understand what your personal needs are within those four drivers, because everybody's look a little bit different. It is like your fingerprint. And when you understand what you value in those four dimensions, then you can start coming up with some cool ideas for what could be next for you. So the four dimensions are, number one, your strengths and your gifts. So what kind of work feels like it is naturally energizing, naturally motivating, enjoyable? So it's not just the stuff you're good at. It's the stuff that you want to do more of and you want to learn more about. You want to lean into growth on. Thing number two is your magnetic interests. So what are the specific types of problems that you personally want to help solve? And thinking about that at the day-to-day level of what do you want to be doing job task-wise, but also thinking about it at the organizational level and at the industry level. What are the big picture problems that you want to be contributing to? Piece number three is your personality. 
So what kind of values do you need an organization to have? What kind of interactions do you want to have with your supervisor, your peers, potentially with your clients if you're going out on your own? That would feel like you can bring your full self to work. You don't need to shrink. You don't need to hide. You don't need to turn down the volume on your point of view. But those things are actually the things that are valued about you is your unique perspective, your unique voice. And then the fourth piece is lifestyle. And how do you want work to fit into your life? Because for some people, they love the idea of work being a critical piece of who they are and part of their their self-identification And they want work to take up a lot of space in their lives. For other people, you want work to facilitate having a rich and beautiful life outside of work. And you don't really want it to take up more than 40 hours a week. You don't really want to be working on it outside of prescribed hours. Or you might be in a situation where maybe you have a a need for additional flexibility in your life. So maybe you need to start the day later because you are an ultra marathoner and you got to get your training runs in in the morning. Or maybe you are a single parent and you need to have flexibility to stay home with one of your kiddos if they get sick because there's nobody else. You don't have a safety net other than you. So understanding the kinds of flexibility that you personally need to feel good can allow for you to then identify the kinds of roles, the kinds of industries, the kinds of work that are going to be a good fit versus things that won't be a good fit. And if you're thinking about designing your own business, these four pillars of career fulfillment can really help you to identify what kind of business could I build that would be fun for me to run, that would fit into the kind of lifestyle that I want, that allows me to work with the kind of clients that would feel really good and energy and life-giving to collaborate with, and that put me in an industry that I want to be in for a while. Because there's pretty much nothing worse than having the secret dream of entrepreneurship and running after it And then having accidentally built yourself a business that while you can run, you don't enjoy running and you have just become a crappy boss to yourself because now you have to discipline yourself to do a thing that you don't want to do to build a business you don't necessarily want to be running in its current form, but you kind of want pieces of it. And then you've got your four pillars all out of whack all over again, but in a new and different way. Yeah, you should be excited about it. Like when you wake up, not necessarily every day, but like on a regular basis, if it's not exciting you, you're going to burn out real fast. Totally. Well, and I think it's important too, that when I talk about the four pillars of fulfillment, the goal is not to find the one Cinderella's magic slipper idea that is perfect across all these dimensions. You just want to be satisfied across your four pillars, right? So you want to be satisfied that you are learning and growing in your strengths. You want to be satisfied that the problems that you're working on feel meaningful to you. It doesn't have to be your one true burning passion of life. It just needs to be something that calls to you, pulls to you. I just, I feel like there can be a lot of perfectionistic pressure that people put on themselves when they're contemplating a business idea and just allowing it to be good enough to satisfy you across your four pillars can be such a a pressure release valve and such an easy way to give yourself permission to start moving forward and actually building the thing. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. I didn't think about like I, I was thinking like, oh, they they had to drive you fully for each of those. But you're saying like that, you know, if it's 50 percent, it's probably good enough for some of these pillars anyway. Um, as long as you're finding something that's, you know, you're not really lacking in any of them, because that's where you're going to find 
um, issues. So have you, you've read the book Good to Great, I'm assuming at some point, right? Yes. Or know many, of it. Many moons ago. Yes. Many moons ago. Yeah. It's, it's like, you know, you, you go to your, your MBA class and you're like, day one, here's Jim Collins's book. So one of the things he talks about there is, is finding your hedgehog concept. And I think that relates back to this idea of finding out what you should be pursuing or what's not necessarily should be, but what's a good match. And he does it from a perspective of a business, obviously. So Taking that and applying it to your personal fulfillment and your career, it seems like you've done this and offered some very good um, ways to look at that. And he does it with three. He does it with, you know, what can you be great or the best in the world at, what it, you know, interests you and your business, and then what is marketable. And I noticed that yours doesn't include necessarily what is marketable. So my question is, does the idea of making money fit into that lifestyle portion? Or where do you see that? Because I'm assuming, like, I can enjoy doing you know, uh, uh, I could make money basket weaving, so I got to find something else that, like, right? That, like, um, you know, any art I can make money doing, but, you know, think of something that's, like, I, I enjoy doing it, and, you know, I won't be the best, but it's not really marketable. So where does that fit in of, like, is it going to make good money, or what do you consider making enough money? Is that just to support your lifestyle that you want and it falls under that pillar? Yeah, absolutely. I see okay. the, the money piece falling under lifestyle because when people think about money, I feel like you fall into so many thinking traps if you put yourself in the position of thinking about how do I make more money or unlimited money? Because oftentimes that could be a really myopic way to think about what's possible for you in your business and your career. It's super limiting. But when you look at Jim Collins' model about marketability or Ikigai talking about what the world needs, it can put this sort of like big expectation and pressure that I need to be solving world hunger or I need to be doing something at a sort of global scale. And so what I think about is just trying to figure out what, what money looks like and feels like for you and what would feel good and what gives you some space to grow, but not necessarily feeling limited that it has to be something that you will be the best at the world in, or you'll be solving a world problem in. Like, for example, there is somebody who has a YouTube channel who teaches cats how to use the toilet. I kid you not. This is a real thing. You can go look it up. Makes a multiple six-figure business with courses and products that help cat owners to teach their cats how to use the toilet. That's a real problem. Well, so I, I'm, I'm glad you feel that way, Sean, but I imagine a lot of people would look at that and say, that's not marketable. That's not what the world needs. That doesn't fit into any of these frameworks whatsoever. And I think that it can just be an inspiration for you that it's possible if you find something that you're great at, that is solving problems, right, in the, in the interests pillar that the world needs and that you're interested in, there will be a way to make it marketable, right? There is a, there's a gal in New York City who used to be a, an accountant and she started a little Instagram channel on the side where she would bake cakes and decorate cakes. And then she created this market distinction for herself because she was willing to slice into her cakes after she decorated them to show what the inside cross-section looked like. And her followers exploded and she created multiple six figures of brand partnerships and ad revenue and has left her job as an accountant to be somebody who bakes cakes and cuts into them twice a week. And she builds a career and a life on it. 
<laughs> so I think that the the revenue part of lifestyle is important to be thinking about, but don't let it limit you. And think about the other pieces of lifestyle that are important too, right? This accountant now does not have to sit in an office nine to five and can work maybe two days a week on camera, maybe one or two days a week off camera, set her own hours, work from wherever she wants. And, you know, they say that there are so many different lifestyle factors that people would trade compensation to get anyways, that if you can create the life and the lifestyle on your own terms, oftentimes that can be more empowering for future goals than another five, ten, fifteen thousand $15,000 might be in the short term. So true. And you talk about some of these people who, you know, gain massive following. Um, and I see it sometimes as a bit of a luck game. So how much does luck, when you've worked with people in the past, how much does luck play into this? Well, I, so a, a favorite old adage that I often share with clients is that you don't get hit by the luck truck unless you're standing in the middle of the road. <laughs> and what I mean by that is that luck can absolutely be a piece of this because luck can be like the jet fuel. It can be the accelerator that comes into a situation, but you've got to be putting yourself in the middle of the road, which means you've got to be trying new things. You've got to be having conversations with people who might be able to help you or prospective future customers. You've got to be creating the time and space to be creating the forward motion so that luck can come in and be a part of it. But oftentimes, what's what's the other old adage that luck is just when preparation meets opportunity? Yep. Or the, the, harder, the harder I work, the luckier I get. Yeah, there's luck absolutely can have some sort of random fairy dust element to it. But most of the lucky people have been putting in the hours, putting in the time, being thoughtful and deliberate and diligent about taking the steps to build something that luck is almost an inevitability after you take action for a certain amount of time. Right. So I see what you're saying. That strategic thinking and deliberate action is important to you know, build the lifestyle you want and set yourself up to be lucky. Without those, like, it doesn't matter how lucky you are. If you haven't set yourself up, it, it doesn't matter. Well, you can't capitalize on luck if you don't have yeah. the systems in place. You know, if you have been wanting to build a business, but you haven't taken any steps, and then somebody says, hey, you want to build a hat business? I need custom hats for everybody at my company. Can you get me a thousand? The luck came your way, man. And you can either mobilize immediately and try to scramble and figure out how to put the systems in place for that. Or your past self could have taken some different actions and could have been identifying suppliers, could have gotten some samples, could have built a very rudimentary website, could have figured out what your payment processing system is going to be. So it's, you know, luck only looks like luck when you've been setting up the preconditions to take advantage of it. True. And to bring it back to your original conversation about your four pillars and what you need to prioritize you go through those steps or somebody reading your book should go through those steps to figure out, oh, I should be in the hat business so that when the opportunity comes along, right? You're like, oh, I'm just going to sit here and wait for somebody to come to me and be like, oh, you've got, you know, I need hats. I'm like, oh, okay, right? No, it's like, I know I've made a deliberate effort, strategic effort and decisions to get into the hat business. And then maybe somebody comes along and I, you know, get a huge lucky break. Yeah, Absolutely. And what I'll say too is that if you are contemplating entrepreneurship and you go through your four pillars and you say, okay, based on what my strengths and gifts are and based on what my interests are, 
I think that these are the kinds of directions I'd want to create a business in, but I feel like I'm missing something. Like I want to create a hat business, but I have no experience with doing design. One thing that uh, author Jenny Blake talks about in her book, Pivot, is the idea of finding an intermediate step point to move you from where you are to being closer to being prepared and ready to enter into entrepreneurship. And she calls that a bridge job. And there can be some really interesting benefits to moving yourself into a bridge position if you are eyeing entrepreneurship, but there are pieces of the puzzle that you feel like are missing that it would be tricky for you to get on your own. And I'll give my own story actually as an example, because back when I first started my business, I was doing it as a side hustler and I was working full-time in digital marketing and ad buys. So I was buying multi-million dollar ad packages on social media platforms. And I wanted to be moving into career coaching and doing that entrepreneurially. So I was missing a couple really key pieces. I had some of the advertising and marketing background that I was going to need to help build the business and promote the business, but I didn't have as much experience doing the coaching work as a professional under my belt that I could be using to show people, hey, I'm the real deal. I can take care of you. I'm legit. I'm not one of these weird people who just calls themselves a coach out of nowhere and sets up a website and all this weird, funky stuff. So I actually took a move into a bridge job of, I had built a very rudimentary website. I had worked with some clients, but I hadn't worked with enough to launch my own business anyway. But I had worked with enough to go and talk to the career development folks within my organization and say, hey, this is a passion area for me. This is something I've been doing on my own all the time. If there's ever an opening on your team to have somebody move in and do this full time, I would love to be able to contribute in this way. And by having that initial conversation, I walked into the conversation and the gal who I was meeting with told me, listen, like we're not hiring right now and I'm happy to tell you more about the team. And by the end of our 45 minutes, she said, sit tight. I'm going to go talk to HR and I'm going to see what we can do. And by virtue of getting the opportunity then to make a move internally into a role that was more aligned with the place that I wanted to go, I started getting way more experience and way more reps, if you will, at career coaching and answering people's questions, addressing their needs, getting success stories, getting testimonials from my full-time job that then enabled me also to have more runway and more time to build the business on the side, to get it to the point where I felt comfortable taking the leap and going into coaching full-time. Hey Harris, let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor. We have Cyber City Circuits and Harris, can you tell us a little bit about them? What do they do? Cyber City Circuits is a contract manufacturer and they're also an electronics distributor based in Augusta, Georgia. We've actually had them on the show, uh, episode 20. We spoke with David and Chris and you know they're a really interesting company. They're doing a lot of different things, but the contract manufacturing is an area where they're seeing a lot of growth right now. Yeah, in fact, for contract manufacturing, this is something I ran into when I was doing a class. Um, I think it was 2019, I was putting together a class. I needed 30 boards produced and assembled. And I reached out and had quotes from various contract manufacturers and they charged me a ton of money or wanted to for these tooling costs. And these guys are making contract manufacturing very accessible for people who want low quantity orders. So something like 30 boards for your classes, for your badge life, hit them up they are going to be great and help you out for some of this. If you want to check them out, go to cybercitycircuits.com. You can use Hello Blink Show, all caps, 
one word. To get 10% off of your order for the electronics, kits, and parts side, you can also mention Hello Blink Show on their contract manufacturing side when you reach out to them for 25% off the assembly costs of the manufacturing. All right, let's get back into it. Well, this is really good segue because this is the next thing I wanted. We, Sean and I, we talk a lot about quitting your job, working for yourself. That's a big emphasis of this show, but it's not for everybody. So balance out, you know, uh, our perspective for listeners. What's the counterpoint for why you shouldn't start your own business yet? One is pivoting this sort of like step function where you go into a job that's similar but different. Um, what about for others who have, when you've been working with them, they came to you initially and were saying, I need to work for myself. I need to work for myself. And then when you go through the process, they sort of come to the realization that, no, I, I don't need to work for myself, actually. Working for other people may ultimately help me fulfill these things. I just need to go out a different way. Talk, talk through that, because I don't know that we've ever once mentioned the benefits of <laughs> working for other people on this podcast. Well, I mean, probably understandably, because you guys have had great experiences going out on your own. And there's, there's a certain wiring and a certain temperament of person who is going to love entrepreneurship and who is going to thrive in entrepreneurship. And when you look at what your particular values are and the current life situation that you're in, there may be circumstances where entrepreneurship isn't going to be right for you now, and it might not be right for you ever. You know, one of the biggest things that I hear from folks is if one of their highest values is safety and security, it can be really difficult to give yourself permission to be able to make a leap into entrepreneurship because that's going to trigger all kinds of anxieties and fears and worries and mental health stuff coming up. And if that's you, if you feel like you need the comfort and the safety of a full-time job, and I sort of am putting those in air quotes because if this pandemic has shown us nothing, it has shown us that even the things that look safe and stable on their face are not always going to stay that way and that change is the only constant in the economy. But if it feels safer for you and for your risk tolerance to stay employed by somebody else, there's no shame in that game, right? That's totally fine as a decision. And one of the other things that I think makes employment potentially a more interesting option than entrepreneurship is if you feel really uncomfortable with the idea of drumming up your own business, right? And Harris, you and I have talked at length about how everybody, no matter whether you are employed or whether you're an entrepreneur, has to be doing some marketing and some relationship development and whatnot. But if that idea just doesn't feel good for you, then entrepreneurship may not be the right avenue for you right now. And it might be because there's an attitude that might be worth looking at and adjusting, but it might be because it just doesn't feel good. You would rather put your head down. You would rather go do your work, maybe do your coding, do whatever it is that you do nine to five and not have to worry about networking, talking with people, drumming up business, and that, that just feels safer and better for you. So I feel like it's a function of what your values are, what your risk tolerance is, and probably the preparation that you can take, right? If you're in a season of life where you are doing things that are requiring a lot of liquid capital, like maybe you are doing renovations on your house, you're about to buy a house, there are some reasons that keeping things stable or keeping things from having a whole lot of fluctuation can be really beneficial. But 
obviously, you guys know that there are absolutely ways to overcome all of those things in entrepreneurship if that's what you value. And I think that's what this comes back to is what do you value most? Do you value freedom? Do you value autonomy? Do you value, do you value being a self-starter and being out on your own and paving your own way and enjoying the risk and the adventure and the challenge of that? Or are you the sort of person who doesn't feel good about that, for whom that brings up all your stress and all your anxiety and all your fear, and it paralyzes you? Because we do not want to say entrepreneurship is the right thing for everybody and then have all you go quit your jobs and then feel like you have this sheer terror because you don't have the financial safety net that you want to have or you don't have a plan B set up for yourself, or you don't have multiple streams of income to help you start floating, or you've never tested and tried anything. You know, here is something that you and I share in our stories, um, and Sean, you might share too, is that, you know, we started out our businesses on the side of our full-time gigs, and we had a mental threshold of when my part-time business gets to this amount of monthly recurring revenue or monthly projected revenue, I am going to give myself permission to jump, to make the leap. And if you're not in a position where you have gotten your side business to that level yet, it might make a lot of sense to keep hanging out at your full-time job, keep side hustling, keep building, keep working on building the skills or the relationships or the information that you need, the wisdom that you need. So I think that being really self-aware and noticing what's true for you can be a really good litmus test to tell if entrepreneurship is right for you right now, if entrepreneurship might be right later, but it isn't right now, or if entrepreneurship is just not something that's ever going to feel good or interesting for you because of your own values and the way that you manage stress and risk. Yeah. And you bring up a good point. Uh, Harris and I have talked about, I think in one of the early episodes about the idea of paving your runway, Um, do the side hustle, do all these things, you know, start drumming up business ever before quitting your job. Quitting your job should not be step one. I mean, if you get fired, laid off, whatever, then you might have to hustle real fast if you're looking to start your own, and that might be an opportunity. Um, but if you if you have the capability that you still have a full-time job and you can start side hustling, paving that runway so that you can eventually launch at some point, I think is a much better approach assuming you have that capability or, or that opportunity to do so. Um, it, I, I did it. I also, I didn't realize that I didn't know it was called a, a, a bridge job. It was something that I, I think I have not read Pivot. It's on my list though, so I need to. But the idea of doing a bridge job is something I did at SparkFun. I took a job in marketing knowing that's ultimately, even if I didn't have this fully formed concept of like what I want to do with my entrepreneurship job working for myself, I knew that that would be a bridge job Ultimately, while I did some side hustle stuff and to help, like you you got recommendations from people you helped. Um, I was getting notoriety in YouTube on social media by being a more public face in the company, even if it meant I had to, what a lot of engineers talk about, go to the dark side, right? Oh, you went to marketing. That's an evil four-letter word in the engineering world. But I took that job to be more front-facing, more forward-facing in the company so that I could get more notoriety. And so when I eventually did leave, people still knew who I was even if I'm not completely tied to my former employer any, any longer. Yeah, it's a great way to think about setting up the preconditions for success. And something, Sean, that your approach did too, is that it didn't put the immediate financial pressure onto your ideas and your hopes and your dreams. 
right? Because if you are building your empire on the side while you have full-time revenue, full-time income and benefits and all that stability to be the platform for your experimentation and growth, it doesn't create such a such an expectation and a stress on the business to be immediately profitable or immediately producing that it sucks all the fun out of it. Right. And you're absolutely right. If, if you have a family, if you're looking to support people, like financial instability, it would be terribly anxiety inducing. I can't imagine it. Like I know Harris, you're about to have a baby and you're, you know, you're working for yourself, but you've worked for yourself long enough that you feel pretty confident about your income stream right now. Like that's not something that's causing a lot of heartburn. Yeah. That, and that was actually part of my thought process when I started the business. I wanted to, I knew that we had, my wife and I had uh, the desire to have children and obviously the hope that we would be able to. And I wanted to be av available to go to all the appointments during the pregnancy and I wanted to be available to sort of be around, watch the kid. And when she gets a little older, go to soccer games or ballet or flute or whatever she does. And um, so, but I knew that it was going to be harder in the beginning to create the, the, the system to build the machine. But I knew that once I had it running, it would enable me to do those types of things later. So a little pain early for some gain later on, because I just felt like in a traditional job, you know, they want you at work. And I totally understand that, uh, you know, if you pay someone to be in a certain place at a certain time, but I, I wanted the, a little bit more flexibility to not have to be in, um, as restricted in terms specifically how I spend my time as it relates to family stuff. And Harris, let me riff on that for a second as a, a person who wants to be a mom one day, uh, it can feel really insurmountable to be a woman and want to start a business because you start thinking to yourself, how in God's green earth am I going to create the kind of maternity leave for myself that I could have gotten paid for or semi-paid for if I was staying in corporate? But one of the things that you just articulated that I think is so important for listeners to really key in on is that when you become an entrepreneur, it shifts the way that you think. And you start to see every challenge, every question, every problem that hits you as an opportunity to come up with an interesting solution as opposed to a roadblock or a non-starter. And that's actually one of the biggest things that shifted inside of me making the leap from being employed and being in corporate to working on my own is that the kinds of things that I would have looked at and said, well, that'll never happen or there's no way around that. And this sort of very absolute black and white fixed thinking has shifted so dramatically that I'm trying to figure out what shifts and changes I need to be making in my business and the way that I serve people right now, because I'm thinking, you know, very advanced planning that I am likely to be wanting to take maternity leave in about two years. So I have a nice two year chunk of time, chunk of runway to figure out how can I shift the systems and the provision of services in my business such that I could disappear out of the business for maybe even longer than corporate would have given me, right? Maybe even six months, nine months, a year, and still have the business carrying on, still have people being served and helped, still have people be happy, but have the structures be really different. So I think that where there is entrepreneurial will, you can almost always find a way if you get creative with the thinking. I love that. And the book ties right in with that, right? You're diversifying your business. Obviously a book, you put in the work ahead of time and then people can read it, buy it later and get those benefits without you having to directly be doing coaching with them. And the other benefit, when you diversify your business, you talk about serving people, that a price of a book is much less than necessarily going through the full coaching. And now I'm not saying it's, 
you know, it's just a different offering from Career Clarity. But, you know, for the purchase of a book, you can get started. And then maybe eventually you say, okay, I definitely want to jump in and, and work with a coach. Um, but, you know, that much more accessible, lower entry point is probably a way to really expand your impact. And so it helps you achieve a personal goal and also kind of your vision for, for the business too, which is pretty cool, I think. Totally. Well, and if we need to have a, a follow up to this six months from now, once the book has been out in the world, so I can report back on what were the inputs and the costs to putting a book out into the world? What are the different things you can do to set it up for success? Does it actually make you any money? I am also happy to talk about that too, because I think that there is a lot of uh, a lot of hype around putting a book out there. And I think there are a lot of misconceptions about how much money you can make with books and how you make your money with books. So if there are people who are listening to this who are thinking, ooh, that might be a way that I want to dip my toe into entrepreneurship, we might have a lot of really good lessons learned to share in a couple months. All right. Uh, yes, definitely. And in the meantime, when the book comes out, do you know where they will be able to get it? So that is one of the fun entrepreneurial problems and challenges that I am currently solving right now. I It should be available at most indie bookstores, especially online, through Amazon, and hopefully through a couple other distributors that I'm setting up now. But that is also a fun and interesting uh, new foray into understanding the world of distribution and publishing rights and how to get on the radar of distributors and how to get libraries to want to buy copies of your books. So lots of cool and interesting challenges to have to peel apart as you go on that road. All right. Well, stay tuned. I am fully confident that Lisa will be successful because everything she touches seems to work out pretty reasonably well for her professionally. And so keep an eye out. We'll, we'll talk about it on, uh, on email and social and stuff like that when this episode comes out. Um, and, you know, who knows? You could, it could even be at your local bookstore and maybe things have settled down and you can go to stores more comfortably in the future too. <laughs> well, Lisa, thanks so much for joining us. Sean, did you have anything else before we wrap? Or Lisa, is there anything else you want to leave us with? No, just Lisa, can you Tell us uh, where we can find you online. Yes, absolutely. So if you're wanting to grab a copy of the book, uh, my website is getcareerclarity.com. And if you go to getcareerclarity.com slash book and you go before November 17th, you can pre-order the book and get access to a whole bunch of pre-order goodies, including getting the audiobook version of the book completely for free as a thank you for pre-ordering. If it is after November 17th, I'm sorry about that, but you can still go to getcareerclarity.com slash book to figure out where you can get your hands on it and get access to all the tools and supplemental resources that I wanted for you to be able to print and fill in and rip up and get messy with instead of just being within the text of the book. Awesome. Thank you. And uh, are you on social media at all? Where can people find you? You know, I'm sort of sparingly on social media. I'm really working through a love-hate relationship with social media right now. <laughs> I hear if, you. I hear you. If there are listeners who are in the love part of the love-hate relationship with social media, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at, at Career Clarity. And then if you're looking me up on Facebook, it is The Career Clarity Show. This has been great. Thank you so much, Lisa, for coming on our show and sharing all of your great insights on what should people be asking themselves? Like, should I quit or not? And I think that's a really important conversation to have. I am always happy to, Sean. Thank you guys for having me. It feels like such an important thing to talk to people who are creative, ambitious, hungry, and feeling stuck about all the different ways that they can help themselves wiggle unstuck and get moving towards creating a career and a life that feels good for them, be it entrepreneurially or not. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and share the show. Let us know what you think on Twitter at Hello Blink Show. 
Find show notes at helloblinkshow.com. The Hello Blink Show is shared under a CC BY 4.0 license by Skull Risa LLC and Kenny Consulting Group LLC. The intro and outro music is Routine by Amin Maxwell and is shared under a CC BY 3.0 license. This song can be found at soundcloud.com slash Amin Maxwell slash routine.